What scares you the most? Is it an empty street? No one around you? Maybe it's the dense, thick silence of a forest. Or perhaps you're just afraid of snakes. This is Eerie, a new limited series podcast from Brock Media. I'm Anna Bogutska, and throughout the next eight episodes, my intention is to creep you out. Every episode, a different writer will tell a brand new story, something strange, mysterious, and occasionally grotesque, written especially for this podcast, and designed to scare someone, maybe you, out of their mind. In this episode, Gemma Moore writes and performs Ganjin, a story about why, perhaps, you should stay away from your childhood home. So listen in and discover the secrets of Ganjin. Waves crash against the concrete pier, and I count the rhythmic lapping in my head. One, two, one, two. They join the cacophony of people's octopus cards beeping, the crunch of turnstiles and the static crackle of electricity running through the fluorescent lights above. My foot shakes the quilted jacket, resting on top of the shopping trolley of the old woman next to me, and I sip on my carton of lemon iced tea. It's sticky in the humidity, and droplets run down the sides of the yellow box onto my fingers. The people around me stand, and as if choreographed, they turn towards the tunnel ahead of us, cramming their bodies against each other. I get up to follow, my orange and green socks locked in my purple Velcro sandals. I look around trying to find a sign that confirms the next Hong Kong ferry is to Peng Chao Island, but there is nothing. So I wait for the English announcement, too embarrassed to reveal I don't speak Cantonese. We all scramble to find a seat in the cool air-conditioned ferry. The old lady with the shopping trolley perches next to me again. I subtly angle my head to try and get a glimpse of her face but her features are hidden under a mask and a drooping hat. Across the aisle, an old man opens a packet of dried salted mandarin skins, and with a jolt, we are pushed off from Pier 6. We propel forward towards Peng Chao, the Hong Kong skyline behind us, high-rise buildings competing against the dark peaks of the mountains. I haven't been back in four years. Not since Mum died. We arrive and it is dark. Hundreds of rusty bicycles are securely chained to the pier, many left behind in memory of those who have passed away. The pull of the island's secluded lifestyle entices many retirees to make it their forever home. I walk alongside a small group of people from the ferry, and we travel along the pier, gradually making our way up the base of the hill where my mum's old house is. Local fishing boats crash against the rocks, and there are still lines of drying cuttlefish and squid out from the day. This was my mum's childhood home, and it had always been her dream to retire here. Living on a farm in Shropshire left little room to embrace and nurture our Asianness. Still, she remained resilient and resourceful, always finding creative ways to keep us rooted to our heritage. One year we grew so much white Chinese cabbage and choy sum, we ended up feeding most of it to our chickens. 
When she passed, it felt like this part of me had been severed. A part of me I was now trying to piece back together. As we ascend, one by one the group disperses into the darkness, leaving only my footsteps to break the silence. When my mum got ill, she got so weak that the hill became too difficult for her to climb. The trail grows steeper and with each step I take, my breath grows heavier. One. Two. One. Two. My glasses steam up with each exhale and wiping them clean only briefly alleviates the fog, leaving my vision hazy and distorted. As the hill finally flattens out, I spot the entrance to my mum's house in the distance, a boundary marker between civilization and the untamed subterranean forest. I quicken my steps. Trees loom over the walls, shielding houses on both sides of the dirt track. A single street lamp lights the way. I finally reach my mother's gate, but just as I'm about to enter, a putrid stench clings to the inside of my nostrils, making my tongue draw to the bottom of my mouth. It is coming from the depths of the forest. My eyes quickly scan the darkness. They flick over the hostile shrubs and the long, drawn-out limbs of the banyan tree roots until they lock on the void ahead. I feel my breath shift, aware of an unfathomable presence. I stare into the nothing, and it stares right back at me. And then I hear it, shuffling, shunting against the ground. I feel myself shrink against the forest ahead. Fixated on the shadows, I now hunt for the source of the noise. I can feel myself going numb, unable to process the fear that anchors me to the spot. And then the forest comes alive, the floor begins to move, rotating and swirling, folding in on itself. Branches reach out towards me. I can now see the putrid smell that permeates through the trees. It is a thick tar-like stream, weaving in and out of the shrubs, surrounding me, pouring into my nose and mouth. I struggle to breathe, gasping for air. I try and grab the stream that now floods my lungs, desperately trying to pull myself free. The force of the sound breaks me from my trance, and my body releases itself. I spin around. My shoulders and arms tingle, senses heightened with adrenaline, ready to fight. In the distance, I see a faint figure lying on the road. I quickly clean my smudged glasses on my t-shirt, and once clear, the figure begins to take shape. It is the old woman from the ferry. She pushes up her frail old body and begins to pick up the spilled contents of her trolley. I rush over to help, collecting bags of dried mushrooms and red dates and glinting metal pans. She thanks me, nodding and patting my hands. Of course, I reply in English. I spot one more pan lid has rolled into the forest and run back to retrieve it. But just before I take my first step into the undergrowth, I feel a hand grasp tightly around my arm. It is the old woman. She frantically shakes her head and pulls me back onto the road. It's okay, I reassure her. But she drags me further and further away. I try to catch her eyes under her hat, but once away from the path, she shakes my hand firmly, keeping her head down and hurries behind a door in the wall. I hear her feet sliding across the concrete again. 
and once I can no longer hear her, I finally exhale. I turn back towards the forest again. My eyes dart towards the floor in search of the pan lid, but it has vanished. My heart begins to race and I glance up into the void beyond the trees. It is now unnervingly still. I squeeze my eyes shut and adjust the weight of my bag on my shoulders. I take another deep breath in and out. A wave of jet lag washes over me. I need sleep. I get out a cluster of keys attached to an old Ultraman key ring and start trying them in my mum's front door, one after the other. Out of the corner of my eye, I catch sight of some old cuttlefish bones. I remember mum buying them from the local fisherwoman down by the pier. Every house on Peng Chow had them in front of their doors, whether it was actually helpful or just superstition. The story was that centipedes hated the smell. Hong Kong has a number of dangerous insects, but the Scholopendra centipede is the largest and most dangerous of them all. Their thick, long, multi-segmented bodies with 21 pairs of legs can grow up to 30 centimetres long. Mum had warned me as a child to never go near them as they are aggressive and territorial and their venom is extremely potent. I finally unlock the door and scoop up the old cuttlefish bones. They immediately crumble in my hands. The smell of stale fish wafts up to my face. Its odour so strong I can taste it on the corners of my tongue. I remind myself to go down to the pier to buy new ones tomorrow, and I throw the remains in the bin. Mum would often tell me about how the fishing woman would keep her up to date with all the gossip on the island. The grandkids that had gone on to become lawyers and doctors those who had failed to live up to their parents' expectations, and the retired men and women who had an appetite for drinking and spending their pensions on the Happy Valley and Shartin racecourses. But on my last visit with Mum, the fishing woman moved from gossip to something more ominous. She told her stories of how the forest had become untamable, how it had started taking over people's land, penetrating the cracks in their houses, causing unrepairable structural damage. Rumours of strange hauntings had begun to circulate among locals, prompting even the most daring adventurers to steer clear of the forest. One group of hikers had been so badly spooked that they had abandoned all their possessions and hastily fled the island. The fishing woman said that apparently they had seen an entire door frame from the old abandoned lime production facility be sucked into the roots of a giant tree. The new housing developments had also been put on hold due to the rapid regrowth of ivy on the site. At one point, Mum went silent and didn't want to talk about it anymore, <laughs> so I teased her the whole walk back to the house. The forest is going to take you, I would joke. Poking her in the arm. Aya, Daigalaisi, she would reply, smacking my hand away. As I step further into the house, the smell of my mum hits me and is both comforting and devastating. I remove dust sheets from the furniture and partially unpack my bag. I then watch videos on my laptop 
and make myself some instant noodles. And once I have brushed my teeth, I warily head into my mum's bedroom to settle in for the night. On her bedside table are framed photographs. One of us, a few of my grandparents. I place my laptop beside them and wrap my hands around an old photo of my mum as a young girl. I lie on her bed and stare at her face, wishing for her to be sat next to me, holding my hand. I am unable to keep my eyes open any longer, and I drift off into a deep sleep. My chest rises and falls with each breath. Up, down. One, two. In the shadows of the bedroom, there is a faint scratching. Asleep, it goes unheard until 3 a.m. When I wake and drowsily make my way to the bathroom. As I sit on the toilet rubbing the sleep from my eyes, I hear it scratching and tapping on the floor. I make my way back to the bedroom, turning the lights on as I move through the house, looking under the tables and rugs, cautiously searching for the root of the noise. Everything is a slight blur without my glasses, and as I step into the doorway of the bedroom, the light from the hallway reveals the outline of a giant red hard-shelled centipede. With hairy yellow legs and razor-sharp pincers, the end of its tail, where the sensorial organ is, begins twitching as it snakes towards me. My breath becomes faint and shallow, heart racing. I desperately search for a solution, something to trap or kill it. The photo frames on the side table are too small, and if I leave the room, I will lose it. The centipede's pincers click rapidly and its 42 legs ripple across the ground, increasing its speed. I suddenly see my laptop on the bedside table, and just before the centipede can make a lunge towards me, I grab it and slam it down to the ground. I feel its body crunch beneath the impact, and I use my foot to press down hard. My laptop screen cracks under the force, and I can hear the centipede's insides hiss and squeal as they are forced through its broken shell. I wait my foot still firmly holding it down. Is it dead? I am silent, hyper-focused, preparing to react to any movement. But there is none. Slowly, I bend down to pick up the laptop. And as I peel it off the floor, I hear the cracking and tearing of its body being pulled apart. Chunks of it fall to the ground, where they lie dismembered and oozing. That was close. My whole body shudders, and I cringe as I try and scrape its remains off with my slippers, but a residue of guts and fluid lingers. I turn back to the kitchen to get a mop and bin bags, but something else catches my eye. I suddenly remember the most important warning my mum had given me about centipedes as a child. They always come as a pair. And this centipede is even bigger. 
abnormally big and more erratic in its movements. I am immediately drawn to its monstrous face, its shell transparent revealing the curved organs of its brain, a network of delicate neural tissues writhing around like maggots. It has managed to climb up to the light switch directly at eye level, right by the door. My only exit. Liquid drips from its throbbing body as it coils itself into a tight ball, and a sharp hiss comes from its centre. I see my chance to run. I launch myself into the hallway, but the centipede springs itself onto my face. The force of its weight throws me back into the room, and losing my footing, I slip and hit my head on the bed frame with a thud. It is now suffocating me, its thick legs slicing through my skin. I hold my lips tightly closed, feeling it trying to force itself into my mouth. As it wraps itself around my neck, its fangs penetrate my throat, releasing its venom. Pain courses through my body like lightning, and I rip it off my flesh. Its tail flicks, its sting smacking the back of my hand repeatedly as I rush with it to the bathroom. Throwing it into the toilet, I grab some more bleach and douse it with it. It writhes and contorts its body, squealing in agony. It lunges again at my face, desperate to dig its claw-like teeth back into my flesh. But I slam the lid down on it again, screaming in pain and fear. Its head begins to get minced between the toilet lids, and it shakes as the bleach fills its maggot-like skull. I smash the lid down with one last cry of rage. All is still. I stand back and slowly open the toilet seat. The centipede falls limply, inches away from me, its body butchered and bleached. I slump onto the floor, exhausted, but the adrenaline quickly wears off, and every inch of me surges with pain. I stumble back into the hall, disorientated and dizzy, and head for the front door. Delirious and weak, I collapse onto the road. Head and body throbbing, I continue to crawl away from the house. Through the haze of the pain, I notice someone. The old woman from the ferry. She stands at the edge of the forest in her hat and quilted jacket, her face intently fixed upon the blackness. A sense of rescued relief washes over me as I claw my way towards her, barely able to make a sound. She is motionless her back still facing me. I finally reach her and clutch her arm desperately, imploring her to turn around. Yet she remains eerily still. In a final attempt to get her attention, I lift myself up to face her and reach over to take her hat off, revealing her face is completely empty. No features, no eyes, no mouth. In its place is a sheet of mottled tree bark with flaking ridges and furrows. Wood lice and spiders weaving themselves inside the cracks. I fall back and scream, terrified, pushing my body backwards into the forest, legs kicking wildly. Suddenly something latches onto me and jerks my body backwards. As I'm dragged away, I scream for help and reach out for the old woman, who remains transfixed. My body is savaged as I'm pulled through the foliage, branches and roots tearing deep wounds into my flesh. 
After being thrown into a clearing, I angrily tear off the roots wound tightly around my legs, flailing and lashing my body around like a wild animal. I desperately fight the forces of nature that are threatening to engulf me, until I am free. I pant into the dirt on the ground. Crumbs of soil gather around my lips, and my saliva drips onto the floor. I writhe like the centipede in pain. My shaking hand hovers up to my shoulder, which has been dislocated. I sob in agony. Then I hear it. Loud and clear, booming across the cavity of the clearing. The putrid stench of sweet rotting flesh and bitter mould is unbearable. Finding my cracked glasses on the floor, I fumble to put them on. I see it. A rusted metal door, firmly ensconced in the roots of a gargantuan banyan tree. I urgently search for an exit, but the dense forest is impenetrable. Thick foliage blankets the environment and there is no chance of escape. The moon glints off its tarnished facade. Is this the door from the old abandoned lime production facility? I sway in front of it. There is nothing left to do but to try and face what is behind it. Then as if guided by some unseen force, I stretch my trembling hand towards it. Fingers wrapping tightly around the gritty handle, I pull down. Splinters of moss and dead leaves cascade down as the door swings open. And in the darkness, I see a figure. It is suspended and held by hundreds of thread-like roots. It is a tangle of knotted fibres tightly clenched together with gnarled roots and rotting flesh. Two lifeless eyes, a wilting nose and a dry and wrinkled mouth hang from a ghastly bark-like mask. They are held in place by the white fascia of a human corpse. This body, this thing, is a gruesome marriage of what was once two separate beings now blended into one. Although disturbed and horrified by what is in front of me, I feel a swell of empathy for it. Something about this creature feels so sorrowful, so isolated, so familiar. As I stand in front of it, I feel an unusual bond growing. I am transfixed by its presence. I take one step forward, and another. One, two, one, two. Until I am inside the nest that holds this strange beast. The metal door swings shut behind me, and I stand inches away, heart pounding in my chest, 
My eyes scan the intricate details of how nature has bonded itself to the human body. Organs invaded by parasitic flowers. Mushrooms like tumours are scattered across its form. And when I look up at its face, two glowering eyeballs supported by slender filaments stare back at me. I hold back my fear. And I gaze into its eyes. Mesmerized. Thin tree roots silently slither around us. Unaware, I begin to move my hand closer to the figure's face, my fingers hovering inches from its cheek. We become entangled, the nest wrapping itself around my flesh, pulling me close to the creature. Its tendrils gently begin to pierce my skin. Small, closely placed loops stitch us together until we are inseparable. I slide my fingers into its lifeless hand, interlocking them together. And then, in one powerful swoop, Sharp roots swing down and pierce through my back, under my shoulder blades and up through my throat. My neck snaps under the force and my mouth flops open. Blood seeps out of my eyes and the crimson droplets fall to the floor. My last breath is followed by delicate fern leaves which slowly uncurl out of my mouth, like a tongue. Now, fully intertwined, we hang there in perfect stillness. for listening to Gamjam, written and performed by Gemma Moore. You can find more of Gemma's work on Instagram at Gemma underscore Moore. Eerie is produced and hosted by Anna Bukatskaya, edited by Mike Munzer, with music by Mitch Bain, and our artwork was designed by Mike Lee Graham. Eerie was co-produced by Regina Cameron Pereira for Brock Media, and our executive producers were Sarah Brocklehurst and Nicole Davis. Follow us at We Are Brock Media on Twitter and Instagram for updates on Eerie, Never Told, and other Brock Media podcasts. And if you enjoyed this episode of Eerie, don't forget to rate, review and subscribe wherever you get your scary stories.